We'll go to Luke chapter 8, which is where you will find the parable of the sower. Luke chapter 8. And we'll read that again. Uh, And you can imagine the animated version if you need visual help. Jesus was traveling about from one town uh, and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Have you ever thought about it? I mean, if somebody was walking around proclaiming the good news and all they did was talk, how boring that would be. They just came into synagogues and said, God loves you and God is good. Uh, Check you next week. I'm off to the next town. It's pretty much like the churches we've grown up in, isn't it? I mean, like talk, 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 but nothing ever changes. I don't think the people Jesus met were very different from us. The twelve were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. I wonder if their being cured of evil spirits and diseases caused them to follow Jesus. Do you think? Therein is a clue, brothers and sisters. That if you hang out with Jesus, things happen. And if they don't happen, that's what we're talking about today. We can actually do something about it. How many of you have this fantasy that if you just ask Jesus, everything will happen and you don't have to do anything? How many are you sustaining that fantasy after years and years of trying that way and it doesn't work? Lord, heal the mute. Be encouraged. There's something we can do. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. And these women were helping to support them out of their own means. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town because they just liked to hear him talk. Right? I'm just ad-libbing this a little bit. They came from town to town, from town to town to hear him talk. No, they didn't, did they? They didn't have animation. They just had real life healing. So they came from town to town to hear him talk because behind his words was power. And behind that power, Granny got set free and Brother got set free and Joey got healed. And that was pretty cool because we can't afford them. We aren't on medical medical aid here. And Jesus came and he actually touched her eyes and she saw. That was pretty powerful because I'd never seen that before. How many of us are trying to get to Jesus through our understanding and our intellect? Does it make sense to me so I can't believe it? Most of what you do doesn't make sense to you and you believe it. If you're trying to get to Jesus through your head, good luck. Your head is so small compared to the vastness of God. The only way that you'll really get to Jesus, and I love the intellect, will be through your heart. That's how he'll speak to you this morning. He'll speak to your head, but your head will soon have to bail because you can't handle it. It doesn't make sense because it's too big. I mean, how do you understand that God heals? I don't even understand how my cell phone works. 
So I submit my understanding and say, God, I know. The one thing I do understand is that I'm very limited. The one thing I do understand is that I need help. The one thing I do understand is that I'm not able on my own. So I open my heart for help. So Jesus is wandering around and he's doing a lot of things and people are getting excited. And he's told them this parable. And the parable was a one that's very familiar. A farmer went out to sow his seed. And they lived in a farming rural community. If you go through the shores of Galilee, it's all undulating hills and grasslands and it's farming area. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and it was trampled on and the birds of the air ate it up. And some fell on rock and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up with it and choked the plants and still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more and was sown. When he said this, he called, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that those seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. What on earth is all that about? He's just saying that not everything that God announces is is understood by those who hear. They need help to understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear and, when the, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in time of testing they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. So we have this very well-known story of a farmer who sows seeds. Who's the farmer? The farmer's God. God the Father, God the Farmer. And he sows seed. And how much seed has he got? He's got lots of seed. Nothing wrong with the seed. It's good seed. It's the Word of God. The Word of God is also Jesus. It's all things about God. He sows it. He throws it everywhere. And the sowing method in the Old, Test in the, in the, in the Old Testament in Jesus' time was very, very, um, not, not like our one, two, three, four, five, six with a machine. So we don't waste it is liberal. Lots of seed. No problem with the seed. No problem with the farmer. No problem with the resources. Lots of it. If we could see the seed of God scattered out over this place today, we would be, we'd be drowning in. He says, there is so much. You have, I have resources beyond which you, you don't have a clue. So anything that's of, of lack in you has got nothing to do with my lack of resources for you. There's lots. All I have is yours. You hang around with Jesus and you're hanging around, as we said before, with somebody who makes Bill Gates look like a pauper. So he has, a, he has abundance of resources and I'm not just talking about money. 
And Jesus was saying that not everybody responds. If we flip over to Corinthians, where Paul is talking about, he talks about them arguing with each other about who they're going to follow. One's going to follow this guy. One's going to follow that guy. And at the end of the day, he says, you know, God makes things grow. You are a field. You are God's field. You are God's temple. So think about a field. A field is there. And if there's no one to work with it, it just grows whatever comes up. For a field to, to work, somebody needs to work it. And in working it, they first need to clear it of the vegetation that's there because you can't put seed in a place that's already grown with other vegetation. There's a place in Parksville on Church Road where there's a huge uh, hay field. And those of you who have been down there will know that you know, about maybe 10 years ago, it, start, it used to be a forest, I think, and they started clearing it. And it took about five years to work that thing because I used to drive past there. And it took five years to continually uh, you know, work that thing. They took away the, the trees and they took out the stumps. Then they had to take out the stones and they worked that field until now it's a hayfield, acres and acres of it. And you didn't get the hay until you'd done the other work. And we are God's field, and the difference between that field and the field that we are before God is that we are a field that can influence what happens to us. We're not a field that's just. Uh, if we're just a passive field in God's creation, we're probably going to be overgrown, discouraged, and full of junk. Because we don't resist anything. We, we, we believe our lives are, are, are victim lives. These things happen to us, and this is what happened, and this is what happened, and this is what happened, and this is what happened. And, and so I'm just sitting here saying, God, please do something, and nothing changes. And He doesn't love me. That's probably how many, many, 80%, maybe more, live life. A victim of my circumstances, a victim of where I am, and, and God's there to keep me going until I die and go to heaven. And that's totally not what Jesus was about. Jesus said, why don't you have heaven now? What do you mean have heaven now? Why don't you live in the kingdom now? How do I do that? Well, I'll live in you, and I'll live through you, and together we'll get rid of some of this junk. Heaven begins now. That's what he meant when he said the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of God is here. That's why people came from all over the place. Because the Pharisees and the synagogues talked. And they talked. And they talked. And they talked. And they talked about God. And they talked about the theory. And they talked about the Old Testament. And they talked about history. But they never ever talked about God loving people, touching them, caring for them, providing for them in a way that would transform their lives on earth as in heaven. So what if God this morning wants to shout in your and my ear, I love you and all I have is yours and anything you're struggling with, I actually have a way through for you. But I need your 
participation. And for some of you, he's going to say to you, uh, I'll let you hear it in a minute. He'll say something to all of us. It's meant to be encouraging. It's meant to be one of those diagnostic moments which says, if this isn't working, try this. That's what it's meant to be. So he talks about the Word of God being the seed, which is the Word of God is His Word for you and for me, His truth, His life. He has a Word of love. He has a Word of direction. He has a Word of purpose. He has a Word of healing. He has lots of words, lots of seeds, lots of words. His presence is all-encompassing. So when you come to Jesus, when He walked on this earth, Jesus was present and He spoke and He healed and He smiled and He laughed and He released joy and peace and kindness. I mean, it was all wrapped up. That seed explodes. I wonder how many of us are control freaks. And so we keep telling God how to do it, when to do it, how, you know, who to do it through, and it's not working. Because God said, you know nothing. Stop it. I'm God. Stop telling me what to do. You can't see anything anyway. I don't take directions from somebody who's wounded because they just magnify their pain and then project it. I'm the healer. So come to me, all you who are weak and weary and heavy laden. For God's sake, come to me. And there are some of you here, and I could name you, and you know who you are, and you won't let God come to you. And I'm speaking to you secretly, but God has been knocking on your door for a long, long time, but you won't come because you won't come because of your pride. And you won't come because it's on your terms and it's not working. And when I've been around, I've been around this valley for 25 years and you see the patterns and you watch the people and you watch the growth or the lack thereof. And there are a lot of people who are not getting what God has for them because they're bloody-minded and difficult and they just say no. And I've learned now at my wise old age of saying, fine, have a nice life. But when you want to say yes, God will love to bless you. And He'll heal you like that. This is a really, really cool message. It's a very cool message. The only thing it's not cool for is pride and attitude. If you're hungry, if you're thirsty, if you're hurting and you want it, it's a very cool message. If you're arrogant, opinionated, I'll do it my way, what the heck's he talking about? Have a nice life. That's the parable, by the way. Let's talk about the parable. Jesus said the seed, lots of seed, God's love, his presence, his healing is thrown out. And it falls on what? A pathway, hard ground. And it bounces on the hard ground and it goes nowhere. Why? Because there's nowhere to go. And so it's basically open season for anything who wants some seed not to grow but to eat. So that seed is God's love, God's word, God's presence 
coming up against somebody who's closed. They're in the church and they're outside the church. I haven't had a new thought in 20 years. I don't consider anything. I have a belief system and this is what I believe believe, and it actually got closed up and sealed when I was about six or maybe 20 or 25 or 30, whenever. And so when the Word of God comes, it do, if it doesn't agree with me, it just sits and dissipates. And then I blame God and I say this, this, and I don't believe, and I don't believe kind of shelves everything. So nothing happened. I just get crusty and religious. And I hate watching joy because it irritates me. And I don't like testimonies because they're too emotional. And I don't like lots of demonstration of stuff because it makes me feel uncomfortable. Because when you're in a straitjacket in a box, that's what you are. And the word falls on the hard ground that you are and nothing happens. You're a prisoner in Egypt. You're actually no threat to Satan at all. He's got you. And so you're totally ineffective. And you live your life on belief systems that don't actually work. And you find that people around you don't like the fact... You don't talk about Jesus because you have nothing to say. You argue about theology, maybe. And you criticize a lot of people because that's what comes out of that kind of closedness. You're really critical, negative. You know what you don't like. But there's not much that you speak to that you do like. And you certainly don't contribute. You just watch other people make mistakes. It's not a good place. Those people killed Jesus, by the way. And they were Bible-believing, God-fearing Pharisees who read the Old Testament. This fun yet? <laughs> I just want to push this hard. So, the next group are the people who, um, it fell on the rocky soil, the rocks. And we told it, it sort of germinated and then briefly came up and then withered and died as soon as there was testing or the, the, the circumstances got difficult. Which, as I read that, therefore tells me that Jesus is trying to say to us, you know what, life is a bit of a mixed bag. There is going to be times where it's tough. Don't whine about it. So what happens is these people, they hear the word and they take out of the word, Jesus loves me, thank you, and he's in a good mood all the time. And I'll dare even risk the wrath of the second group, uh, I am second group by saying, he's part of my work schedule to get me not addicted. He's part of my program. That's one of the dangers of that. He's not in any program. He's bigger than a program. And those people tend to live on their emotions. So it's, 
oh, I, I went to that course, or I went to this thing, and I felt so good, and they received the word, and then they went off and they looked for another feeling or another conference or another song or another download of something that will make them feel what they need to feel. And it gets exhausting. And it doesn't hold them for very long because you can't sustain emotion like that for very long. And so circumstances come in or somebody else comes in and they get distracted and before they know they've fallen. Or they're just not in anything Christian because there's nothing to hold them. Very, very common. They tend to be centered around themselves. What's in it for me? And the funny thing is it works that way because there's a lot in it for us. And God always saying, I love you. And we're always talking about that. So there's a lot in it for us. But it doesn't stop there. And so the seed fell on those people and they picked up the seed that says, I love you. And they pick up the seed that made them feel good. And they said they pick up the seed that I felt such peace and warmth. But they didn't follow up on it. And so it didn't take much for them to get distracted, discouraged and lost again. Then there was the seed that fell among the thorns and that germinated and grew and had every prospect of being healthy. The problem was the thorns. And Jesus said the thorns stand for people who worry, people who are distracted, people who apportion God some time but have a lot of other things they're trying to juggle as well. And at the end of the day, they get throttled by all the things they're doing because they haven't learned to say, Jesus, what is the purpose of my life and what do you want me to do? How can I serve? How can I be yours, your follower? They live a life that says, Jesus, this is what I'm doing and I'd love you to bless me, please. And I'd like you to fix the mess up in this relationship and this family that I've created and you've allowed. I'd like you to fix it up, please. Um, I'll talk to you again next Sunday. And next Sunday comes and uh, John stands up and says, any testimonies? And I say, huh, funny testimonies. My testimony is God isn't around. He didn't answer my prayers. He did nothing for me. I told him last week what I needed and you said, you know, claim a promise and I claimed it and nothing's happened. And those are the people who spend most of the week among the thorns. They're troubleshooting. They're wrestling with everything else and they're not actually growing a relationship with Jesus. So they have no power. They have no courage. They have no community. And so they're just... Struggle, 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 struggle. And there's a branch of Christianity that thinks struggle is actually the gift from God. You know, I'm, I'm sort of a martyr and you don't know what I'm doing for the Lord. And it's a sort of miserable suffering. You kind of go, that's sick. That's unattractive. Is that what Jesus does to you? Uh, give me cocaine. And then you have that other seed that falls on the fertile ground. And what's distinctive about that ground? That ground 
is receptive and that ground absorbs the seed and it nurtures that seed and things grow that have deeper roots that withstand. They grow above the thorns. They resist the sun because they have resources underground that give them nurture and moisture. And they yield a crop. And Jesus said, those are the ones I'm after. That's what I'm about. So you are God's field. Which one are you? Now in polite Canadian culture, well, we a little bit of both, a little bit of everything. A little bit of hardness, a little bit of fertile, a little bit of rocky, a little bit of this. It's true to a degree. But you determine which one you want to be. You determine which you want to be. That's the part that God is calling about hurry up and acceleration. He's saying to you and to me, we can get this thing going much harder and faster and quicker and higher than you ever imagined, but you've got to get on board with your own life, let alone everybody else's life. I have poured out seed. There is abundance for you every season. What do you want to do? Probably the most predominant, I would think, around here would be seed that's full of thorns. Which would be, there's so many other things that distract. So, if we're thinking of the field as our mind, our heart, our attitudes, what kind of field would you be today as you sit here? How would you describe yourself? Man, I wish we had time. Have everybody walk up here and say, I'm this. <laughs> no lying. If you lie, you drop dead. What kind of field would you be? Hard? You see, the good news is, by diagnosing your condition, you begin to be able to work out what you can do about it. Because Jesus, the, the, the incredibly loving, powerful God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, who can transform lives, is actually saying, I'm here for you. I want to be sown into you at greater measure. I'm saying yes to you. But if things aren't growing, something has to change. And it's not me. So my question to Jesus is, what do you want me to work on? That I can clear the field and that you can grow all the stuff that I've asked you to grow. And one of the ways you can begin to explore that is look at your mind, heart and attitude. I wrote down four things. If my mind is hard, it's closed, it's indifferent, then don't expect much to happen. You break open a mind by starting to recognize that it is closed. You start saying, Lord, help me to open it. You start opening a mind by beginning to communicate with other people. 
When did you have a new thought? When did you have a new revelation of God for you? How many years ago was it? It should be last week. It should be, wow, I didn't realize that. That's cool. I should love the... um, I should love the exercise of discovering who God is. I should love wrestling with Him and not caring if I don't win. But actually just going, He's teaching me how to live life. He's the Father I always longed for. I don't have to be afraid anymore. One of the things God's Spirit will do to melt hard hearts and minds is begin to say, don't be afraid. You're only hard and closed because you're afraid. Don't be afraid. I'll tell you how to get through a a hard mind. Take another direction. Go through the heart. The heart is the plough of God that will till open every mind. And that's why Jesus comes up to you and to me and he says, do you love me? But you can't love Jesus until you hear him say, I love you. Because our response is all we have. So if I don't love him, there's no point in saying to you, well, you better change your mind and love him. No, you start talking about, do you know how much he loves you? Do you know what he thinks of you? Do you know how much he delights in you? Do you know when he's telling you not to do something because he loves you and he's seeing the damage that's happening? And he loves you enough to challenge you. And he starts melting the hard heart, the hard mind. That's why he cares about the kind of field we are. Or we might be one who sort of listens, you sort of make an attempt, but you don't actually sustain it for more than, you know, by the time we've gone out of here, it's over for you. Kind of nice few nice thoughts but there's nothing there's nothing in my attitude that says I'm going to grab hold of that you just carry on and so nothing really stays rooted nothing happens Um, there's those of you who, who will receive God's word and you'll receive the word this morning and again by this afternoon or tomorrow life goes back to normal because that's your real world and Jesus is trying to say this is the real world I'm inviting you into the real world where I am Lord. And there are others of you who are hungry for more. And so when we say we're going to meet on Tuesday for for freedom ministry, you're there because you want it. Some of you haven't come out to a meeting here for five years. You haven't changed anything and your excuse every time is, I'm busy, I'm tired. I've been to enough courses and my response is, well, I don't see you healing the sick and I don't see you walking on water and I don't see you full of joy. So if I were you, I'd get with the program because there's more. And behind your politeness, you're actually rebellious. Behind your politeness, you actually do it your way. And you look at me and you dare me to challenge you and I'm too polite to challenge you, believe it or not, quite often but I do want to. I want to wring your neck. 
I want to say you're stubborn, you're opinionated, and we need to get moving in this church. Because you were one of the ones who stood up four years ago and said, I don't like this, listen, this is about the churches. We want to be different. This wasn't in what I was meant to say today, by the way. I'm just going on a rant. I'm, just in, I'm calling you up. I'm calling you up and say, if nothing ever changes, nothing ever changes. And the fields are ours to be harvested if we allow God to harvest them. Nearly finished. I'm talking about passivity or interactive. So how do you how do you how do you get fields that work? You you fertilize them, you work with them, you till the soil, and you get rid of the stuff, and that's what we have to do. If you want God to work in your life and you want him to keep on working, then you just say, Lord, what is it you want me to do? Repentance is a good one. That's turning over the soil and saying, I'm sorry that I've ended up here. I've wasted your resources. I've wasted my life and I've got this attitude and I'm sorry. And he says, cool, now we'll just rain all over you and soften you up. Because you see, behind all of this word is a God who just says, I love you, you twit. And I'm just really, you know, I, I just can't stand watching you like this. It makes both of us miserable. But I am a savior. So repent. Say, sorry, God. I screwed up. Sorry, I've got attitude. Sorry. And he says, great, now we can work. Let's pull some weeds out. Let's turn things over. I've got four words out of spelling rich, which would be a rich field. One is repent. One is be intentional. In other words, start taking responsibility for your change and be instructed, be teachable, engage with people. Start finding out and see what happens. I dare you. Don't go to the same old person you've talked with for five years. Don't go to the same people you always, always talk to and you always dialogue and you go, you know what? All you do is rehash the same old stuff. You need to feed more stuff in from other people. It's more exciting. Repent, be intentional, be part of community. This is highly relational. You have to be part of community. You have to be part of community. Why? Why do you think you need to be part of community? I know you're looking smiling right now and going, oh shoot, this is miserable. I should have slept in. That's just hard soil responding, by the way. Why do you need to be part of community? Because community takes control away from you. Community faces you with some of this kind of stuff, like challenges or encouragement. Community has expectations on you. It interrupts your life. It's the very thing God needs to actually set you free. Uh, this is going down like a lead balloon this morning. All right. And out of all that, there's a harvest where others are blessed because of what grows in the field. Stand up, please. You're going to share with me in talking to Jesus. Because he's standing in front of you right now and he's going, um, so what do you think of that? And he's not asking you to critique me because I'm his son and he loves me. And I'm not up for critique right now. 
because he and I are working together as a tag team. And he says, look, John's imperfect. The way he's delivered this, well, we could have got a better person in, but we're stuck with him. But I'm not talking about him now, and I'm not talking even how effectively he spoke this morning. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about your life and your field and your response to me, the living God who wants to farm your life. And I'd like to know what you would like me to do. And I'd like you to come before me right now and say, Lord, I am a hard field and I'm afraid and I'm hurt and I don't know what to do and I just invert that to you. I have got numb, I have got resistant, I've got rebellious, I've got angry and I, I just want to confess that to you. And as you confess that hardness to him, he'll just melt it. He says, I forgive you. I know what's underneath. That's, what I want. That's why I want to crack you. That's why I'm going to hit you over the head. I want you to engage with me. And for others of us, we might have to say to him, Lord, you know, this. I, I live on my emotions. I mean, I'm driven by my emotions. Everything's about my emotions, how I'm feeling. And I'm exhausted. And he probably says, me too. You are exhausting. But I am God and I am a rock. And I'm a rock that doesn't sit on top of the field. I sit underneath as a foundation stone. I want you to stand on me. My love for you, my faithfulness for you, my kindness for you. And I want you to place your emotions on me and not let your life be ruled by them because they beat you up all the time. And you can tell him what you want to do. You can throw rocks or you can stand on the rock. But he says, if you place your life on me, we can get some stability there. Just that I have you by the hand and I'll lead you. And there's others of you that you, you're trying to own, you're trying to work on too many things. And he says, you're just distracted. You don't have any time to invest with me. And you, you make excuses. And your excuses are like thorns. Your excuses are like weeds. They choke everything I'm trying to do. Because all you do is by, bypass what I ask of you. And you use your children and your family and your work and your business and your health and your tiredness. and You, you are very creative in avoiding me. But I'm going to look you in the eye this morning and say, Son, daughter, I want you back. I want you back. Because I have a life for you that you're crying out for and it's not working with you in control. So I'd like to harvest this field. I'd like to work it over if you don't mind. May I? And there are those of you who are hungry and saying, yes, Lord, and he says, let's just keep going. We're not finished yet. Don't pat yourself on the back. Don't think you're getting away with nothing. There's lots more. I've got other crops I want to rotate through your field. Stop telling me what to plant. So, there. So, there. Holy Spirit, will you rain down right now on the fields that are here? Now, this is not a word that's meant to cause you to be miserable. It's just a wake-up call, an encouragement to say, let God be God. Lift your face to the heavens and let the rain fall. And just let Him do what He wants to do. For some of us, he's raining down a weed killer. 
For the others of us, he's raining down the rain that will nourish. He's actually raining that down on everybody, but he'll put some weed killer in if you need it. So, Father, I thank you for the potential that is here, for the harvest that is here. And in the name of Jesus, I speak and silence the lies of the enemy who accuse and who peck away at everything in us. Just kill that stuff. Open your heart and your mind and your life to the harvester, the farmer, and just say, thank you, Lord, here I am. And thank him for the people around you. Thank him for the community. Thank him for what he's going to use to bring about the richest harvest you could ever imagine. If you'll let him be the farmer and you stop fiddling around with the one inch that you think you can control. Praise you, Lord. We praise you for your favor and your love. And I pray that you come in power and you work out truths in each of our lives today. That we could be fields that harvest the, the, the fruit that you plant. Because where you are, there is life and there is hope and there is joy. There is peace, patience, kindness and goodness. Healing is on your wings. And we need one another. One seed is never grown. It's always many seeds. And Father, we ask you where we have become too independent. We need one another. Because your purposes are not just around our individual lives. They're around the corporate life we're also called to. From God's perspective, I have a picture, and that is one grain, one seed that brings out one blade of grass looks more like a weed than a lawn. You need many blades together to make the lawn. That's what God calls us to be, to glorify Him. So as we come to break bread this morning, Father, we come with our fields. We offer them to You, and we pray that You would place in them life-giving seed and that we would take responsibility for nurturing that seed and having the joy of seeing things grow out of us that we never thought was even there. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Could we get the youth?